This is really a prop. I'm just kidding. It's, I, wish it, I wish that was the case. Uh, Mark, can we, let's get that way down. I don't like hearing myself, much less twice. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's a blessing to be here. Uh, Mark texted me on the way over today, and he said, do you know any one-legged preacher jokes? And I was thinking, well, I've never heard any. So I looked them up on Google, and they were so funny I couldn't stand for it. Uh, yeah, I've never really been a, a stand-up comedian, very good at it, so I'm taking a different approach. I'm also on pain medicine, so that's probably where all this is coming from, so that's okay. I was uh, wondering if uh, that's how they taught you how to pray and preach in tongues, if they give you pain medicine and say, try it, I'm not really sure. We do have a lot of elders here, they're on damage control, just in case, uh, so, uh, but we started a, a four-year series here um, last year. I preach once a year, and it's a four-part series. So um, it's on Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3. And so since it's been, oh, I don't know, a long time, I don't know exactly how long, there's going to be a good bit of repeat in the first part, um, and, and that's okay. But let me give you kind of a, a summary of um, the book of John. You know, we only got to get to chapter 3, so thankfully we're not preaching on chapter like 21. We could be here all day. But in the first chapter of uh, the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus uh, was with God, and he was God, and he came in the flesh. And so we have the Messiah, all that was promised in the Old Testament, coming to be true in the incarnation of the Father, or in the Son, uh, in John. And then it, then it starts telling us a little bit about that, and the first chapter of John is such that if you're ever studying the Gospel of John, you have to go back to it over and over and over and over. It's the foundation for all the rest of the things that, that the John writes there. Um, but in the first chapter of John, Jesus starts gathering his team, as it were, uh, to go out and, and to share the Gospel and uh, to show people that he was the coming Messiah. And so he gathers uh, the team, and it's the story in John 1 of him gathering the team. He gathers a team probably not like we would gather. He, he doesn't go after the great preachers of the day. Uh, he doesn't go after the ones that are leading the church. He doesn't go after the religious ones. In fact, he goes after fishermen, people that you and I you know, probably wouldn't have on our team. Uh, so he does that in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he actually steps out into his first public ministry. And the first thing that he does is go to a wedding. Uh, lied, lied behind that because probably the greatest metaphor of our relationship with Christ is being married to him. And he goes to a wedding, and he, and he uh, turns the water into wine. It's a good wine at the end. And then right after that is kind of where we picked up on this four-part series, uh, starting in verse 23 of chapter 2, going to 21 of chapter 3, uh, a section that we know pretty well. I think uh, what I'll do is read that section, and we'll talk through it some, um, and then we'll... Um, I, 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 Got pretty much last time to about verses 6, 7, 8. Uh, we're going to try to get to verse 13 today, um, but there's going to be a good bit of repeat at the first. So that's not because of my medication. That's because we need to hear that over and over and over anyway. So if you would turn with me to your copy of God's Word in John chapter 2, we'll read John 2:23 through 3:21. Actually, I think I'll read just to the passage we'll get to today so we can focus. So uh, John 2, 23, this is the word of the Lord. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name. 
observing the signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man's heart. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these things and these signs and that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not, do, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the text that's before us. I pray that you would... Uh, through your spirit, enlighten our eyes to it, that you would give us all the applications that you have for us today. Father, I pray that we would see our great need of you in this passage. Uh, Father, it's not enough to be the most religious and to take the Bible most seriously and to be in church the most often. Uh, Father, that gets us nowhere. And we, we see that in this passage. But Father, I pray that you would help us to see Jesus here and that you would change us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I was thinking about if you came to New Covenant for any length of time, what are some things that you would know uh, to be true of New Covenant or its people? Um, and, uh, and I thought, well, the Von Trapp family has nothing on the Kernos. Uh, the Cheesecake Factory has nothing on Patty. You guys might know that. Uh, Brett can put any hymn into a 60s song. Uh, your pastor can play the guitar and sing, and man, he can do it with some, you got, have you ever been in a small group with him? You need to, if you haven't been, ask him to play, what is the song that he like gets into? Yeah, Glory, Glory. Ask him to play Glory, Glory. Man, he can get into it. Uh, you would also know that, uh, if you go here, if you've been here very long, if Mark is preaching, he's going to be preaching on grace, or on a man whose name is, starts with a J, right? One of those two things. Probably both, because he always preaches grace. Uh, you would also know that the fellowship and friendship of the body runs very, very deep. That's something that you would know pretty quickly. You would probably know the Ten Commandments um, in order. Uh, you would know that for Mark Bershay, the one in a thousand chances come to be, right? One in a thousand, my son, one in a thousand, and he became the chef of the Air Force, right? Uh, you won't ever get to be a chef. Um, but that one in a thousand chance, he was the chef of the Air Force. And the other thing, the other one in a thousand chance, is, uh, he was asking, do you think I have any, any possibility of winning Denise? One in a thousand, my son. And he won her. So how about that? You would know uh, all those things. 
You would know that Dexter Williams is going to be teaching the junior high until his great, 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 great grandchildren go through there. Um, and, and you would know that kids are always welcome in our service and that there's going to be good fried chicken uh, at, uh, at least every quarter and sometimes gluten-free. So uh, that's today, by the way. Um, there's a lot of other things. I asked some people about these to give me some uh, information, and it created some good conversations and families last night. But uh, there's things that you and I would know about New Covenant if we were members here or regular guests here. And that's what Jesus is doing with Nicodemus. He's saying, Nicodemus, if you're really a teacher of, uh, of God's word, true word, if you really know him, there's going to be some things that are true about you. And Jesus goes on to show that those things are not true at that moment about Nicodemus, that he's really never been born again. Uh, so let me step through a little bit of the text and get us up to kind of where we stopped last time. You don't know where that is, so I'm kind of at an advantage. That's good. Um, but right after, the, right after the, the wedding and Jesus doing that miracle, there was uh, the Passover feast and festival. And it says in the chapter 2, verse 23, that Jesus was doing all kinds of miracles. And it said that people were watching him, and they were believing on his name, and they were coming to Jesus, and they, they started following Jesus because of all those miracles, and they, they were saying, Jesus, we believe, and the text says something pretty tough. It says Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them because he knew their hearts. So outwardly, they were saying, we believe, we believe, we're followers, and yet Jesus knew that in their heart, they weren't really followers, or they weren't really believing. And I don't like the chapter division sometimes, and the chapter divisions of uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 are terrible, because in chapter 2, it says that Jesus knew man's heart, and then it says a man from the Pharisees came to Jesus. And then it gives us an illustration that Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart much more than Nicodemus knew his own heart. And so it says that a man named Nicodemus, uh, uh, one of the Pharisees, came at night. We mentioned a couple of things about uh, Nicodemus coming. And Nicodemus was not coming because he wanted to follow Jesus. Nicodemus was sent by the Pharisees because they were afraid that Jesus were, were taking their followers away. You know, it says that Jesus were get, was gathering followers, and they were afraid they were going to lose their power, their political standing, their religious standing. They were kind of the leaders of the day, politically and religiously in, in every case, and they were losing. And so I think that uh, the Pharisees, and by the way, that means the party of the serious. We need to understand that. The Pharisees would have been people who were at church every week, not just quarterly. Some of you might be here just because of the, of the quarterly thing. I hope not. Uh, but, but what Jesus is saying is, you know, Nicodemus, you know, there's these things that have to be true about you. You have to be born from above and born again, not just religious, not, not just self-righteous. Uh, and I, I apologize for, I, my train of thought goes in and out of medications, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. So um, we'll pray the Spirit keeps us on, on track. And um, so, so Nicodemus comes, and he's saying, hey, we know that you came as a teacher just like we came as a teacher, and we want to work together with you, not apart from you. We want some bipartisan work because we don't want to lose our followers. Nicodemus wasn't coming because he wanted to be born again. He didn't say, how can I be born again? Jesus says, you need to be born again. It says that Nicodemus came at night, and there's probably several reasons for that. And the whole Gospel of John, when John talks about dark and light and day and night, he's talking about a darkness of the soul. And so I believe partly that it's saying that Nicodemus came in the darkness of his soul. 
He didn't really know the gospel. He didn't really know the Messiah. He didn't really understand who Jesus was. The other thing is he probably came at night because he didn't want other people to think, oh, are the Pharisees wanting to follow him too? And he probably didn't want that to get out too broadly. And so that's what's going on. And he came and he came at night and he said that you're a teacher sent from God because who could do these things, these signs, unless he came from God? And then the very next verse is very interesting. It says that Jesus answered him and said, well, what's very interesting about that is Nicodemus hadn't asked any questions, but Jesus knew his heart and Jesus knew his need. And he says, truly, truly, or if you use the good old King James, verily, verily, I say to you that unless you're born from above or born again or born anew, you will not see the kingdom of God. You won't see God. Pretty serious. So Jesus knew the heart of Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was of the party of the serious. He would have been memorizing the Ten Commandments. He would have known them backwards and forwards much more than you and I would know them, even being at this church. And yet that did him no good. In fact, that hid his need from him more than it helped his cause. And we have to be careful. Sometimes our activities in church and our activities in reading the Bible actually hide our need of him more than it helps our cause Um, And we need to be careful with that. So uh, Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, how can that be? Can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? And I think that he was thinking, Jesus would say, well, of course not. Nicodemus, are you crazy? Uh, That's not what I'm saying. Just be a little bit better than you are. But Jesus answered again and said, no, truly, truly, a second time. It's like putting his hands on his shoulders. Nicodemus, you have to be born from above. This is not something that you can do. It's not something that you can, you can make happen in your life. This is something that God has to do. Um, and so Nicodemus is thinking, well, just get a little bit better. And Jesus is saying, you've got to start all the way over. None of the things that you count as your righteousness give you any merit before the Lord. You know, all your goodness and all your memorization, all your going to church, because you're counting that as your righteousness, brings no righteousness at all. And that's what he's telling Nicodemus in this passage. And he knows his heart. And yet how kind Jesus is to show Nicodemus his need. And how kind Jesus is to go on. And he'll start, and we'll get there in just a minute, he'll start showing him how can you be made right with God. If these things are not true of me yet, if they're not true of Nicodemus yet, if they're not true of you yet, Jesus is saying, I'm going to show you how they can be true of you. And it's not something you can do on your own. And and, um, then he gets to verse 7 and 8 says, do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? So what Jesus is doing is, is telling Nicodemus that you got to start all over again in your thinking. Uh, you think that being obedient to the nth degree and obeying every command and all the extra commands, that's what make, makes you right with God. And you've got to start all the way over because none of those make you right with God. In fact, that's what's hidden you from the Lord. That's what's hidden you from the gospel. That's what's hidden you from the Messiah. And I wonder how often are you and I hidden from those truths because we don't understand our great need of him. You know, uh, I need thee every hour, every hour I need thee. We need, we need Jesus constantly. Uh, we, we don't have what it takes on our own. And so Nicodemus was very righteous. He was very serious about his faith, like many of you. Uh, and, and Jesus shows Nicodemus that his status and his standing and his achievements and his memorization only, only hid, uh, hid Jesus from him. 
didn't help him at all. And I think that our righteousness, a lot of times, like that of Nicodemus, hides our heart's need of Jesus, uh, our desperate need of Jesus, and um, more than it actually helps our cause. Um, so Jesus says you need to be born from above. How can that possibly happen? Going back to John 1, 12 and 13, if you take a look back there, let's look back at John 1. I told you that sometimes as you're studying the Gospel of John, you need to go back to chapter 1. Verses 12 and 13, well, we'll start with 11. They say this, Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Some of the saddest words ever. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who can make these things happen? Who can give us new life? Who can draw us to the Savior and save us and redeem us, not just in the past, but currently, ongoing, to make us right with him? It's only, only through his will. It's the will of the Father, the will of God, not the will of man. We can't will enough to be good enough. Um, and then it says, how do they happen? It says, like the wind. He uses this metaphor, like the wind. And, you know, we have songs about chasing the wind. and uh, Go chase the wind. You can't, really, you can't really grab it. If you almost get it, it kind of eludes you. But the wind, the one thing that it, we know about the wind is it has a great effect. The greater the wind and the more it blows, the more effect that it has on things. And what, it's, what, what Jesus is saying here is you can't be born on your own, but you have to be born from the Spirit. It's not something that you can see that you do. It's something that God does. But, but it, I, maybe the way to say it is some of you, uh, ladies especially, when you've just had your hair done, some of you guys might be vain like that too, I don't know. But uh, you have your hair done, you put the little, you know, plastic thing over it when it's real windy and like, oh, you know, you don't want get, to get messed up because you don't want the windblown look. But, uh, and this is not to be just funny, this is to be serious too. Jesus is, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that every Christian needs a windblown look. That the way that the Spirit works in a life should change the way you live and look. It also should change the way you understand the depth of your wickedness of your heart and, and your need of Jesus. And that's what he's telling them there. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit or, or born from above. I was in uh, Hilton Head. It's been probably eight months ago. And uh, I was at Starbucks, which I do frequently, kind of like our friend Joe, at least three times a day. And uh, I, wasn't put, I, was, I do put milk in, in there, but I wasn't like in all of that, but I probably will be next time. Uh, but it was interesting because these men that were supposedly a Christian Bible study group or a Christian kind of fellowship group, they said, they were talking about the most ungodly things regarding sex and drinking and stuff. And I'm like, it, it made no connection. And they weren't just from one church. They were from a, a, a number of churches. They were businessmen. And as I sat there, I'm like, what, where is Christ in this? And um, they hadn't been affected by the gospel. It was very obvious. And uh, afterwards, I did talk to the fellow that kind of invited me to it and asked him some about it. And he understood that, well, maybe we're not the most spiritual. But I'm like, man. Uh, but when you've been born again and born from above, there, sh there should be a change. And the change is not just that you look like Nicodemus. That's the hard part. The change is not that you just start doing better and reading the Bible more and going to more prayer meetings. And it's deeper than that. It's a hard change, and it's a hard understanding of your great need of Jesus, not once and not twice, but moment after moment after moment after moment after moment uh, to see our need of him. 
Jesus saw what was in man's heart, and he saw the great need of a Messiah and a Redeemer that we have. So Jesus, uh, or Nicodemus, faced with great difficulty, said, how can these things be? I still don't get it. If it's not going back into my mother's womb and being born a second time, how in the world can they be? And then Jesus is saying, listen, if you were really a believer, if you really knew the Messiah, you would understand these things. Just like we had that illustration of you, if you really came to New Covenant Church, you would understand these things. Then we have a transition uh, happening right there in that next verse, and it's kind of like the transition we have in the book of Job. In the book of Job, uh, the Lord and Job dialogue, and starting in like chapters 38 through 42, uh, Job comes into the counsel of the Lord, into his uh, uh, throne room, into his judgment seat, you might say, and they talk. And, you know, uh, Job asks some questions, God answers some. And Job asks a question or two, a little bit less words, and God answers, and then it's only God speaking. It, it came from dialogue to discourse. In other words, Job, it says in Job, he put his hand over his mouth and he listened. And it's exactly what we have in this story. Nicodemus thought he was okay, and sometimes we think we're okay, and we just need a little bit more of Jesus. You know, I'm doing pretty well, but, man, I probably do need a little bit more of him. And Jesus is saying, no, you need only me, day after day after day. And what we see is in the back and forth, and I counted English words because I didn't know how to count the Greek words, but in this dialogue, moving back and forth, um, Nicodemus says 27 words initially. And, and then Jesus speaks. And then he says 25 words. And then Jesus speaks. And then he says five words. And then Jesus takes up the whole rest of the conversation through verse 21. And he says nothing. But he listens to how can I be right with God. And that's what he's doing with you and me. And it's what he wants us to hear over and over again is uh, we can't be right with God in any other way but through Jesus. So verse 11. Truly, truly, verily, verily, grab a shoulder and say, listen, listen. Uh, I, I say to you, we speak what we know, and we testify of what we have seen, and you don't accept our testimony. John 14.10 says this, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. And so what Jesus is saying is like, Nicodemus, I'm not speaking to you like another one of your Pharisees. I'm speaking to you the very truth of the living God, that you must be born again. Verse 12, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how would you believe if I told you heavenly things? Well, what are heavenly things? I think heavenly things here would be like if Jesus started describing Christology or like uh, how Jesus was the Messiah and how he came and how there's a trinity and, you know, the deep things that the Pharisees thought they knew but, you know, didn't really get it all the way. Um, the idea about what the church is and the metaphors of us being married to Jesus, those are kind of heavenly and, and things that we need to hear. But Jesus says first, if you don't understand the most basic of things, the earthly things, you're never going to understand these other things. And I think what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is like, uh, Nicodemus, if you don't understand the most, your most basic need of another for your righteousness, if you don't understand that you need help that you can't give yourself, if you don't understand the most basic wickedness of your heart, then you'll never understand the Redeemer and what I came to do. I think that's what Jesus is telling him. Um, you know, if, if you have a life that you like okay, then why would you want another new life, right? We have to get to the point that we just don't like the life without Jesus. We don't like the life that we have trying to make it on our own. We don't like the life that we have 
trying to, to, to struggle and pull ourselves out of the pit over and over and over again. Um, you know, we don't, if we like the life that we have, we're never going to come to Christ. So I, I think that, you know, one thing we need to hear over and over and over again is if you're not a believer, your only hope is in Jesus, not being good enough or coming to church enough. Or, but if you're a believer, what do we need to hear? We need to understand the wickedness of our hearts day after day after day, day and not run to ourselves or any other antidote but to Jesus. Um, verse 13. We'll stop with this one for today. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Um, John 1.51. Turn to John 1.51. It'll be the last place I'll have you turn. Well, no, it won't. I'll give you one more place. Hebrews. John 1.51, back in the first chapter of John, kind of the prologue of the whole gospel. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Uh, and so we, we, in, in this, we see that God the Father sent God the Son. And he sent God the Son uh, to reveal himself to you and to me. And no one has ascended into heaven but Jesus, the one who descended from heaven. And um, in verse 18 of chapter 1, it says that God the Son will explain God the Father. If you know the Son, you'll know the Father. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. This is the last passage I'll have you turn to. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. This hope we have is an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Um, what is this saying? It's saying that we have a certain and sure hope. We have access to the Father. There's only one who had direct access, and that's Jesus. That's what verse 13 says. But Jesus is telling Nicodemus, there's hope for you to have access to the Father, to be right with the Father, and that hope is through me. That hope is in me. Uh, because as I have access to the Father in me, you have access to the Father, and it's so secure that it's your anchor. It's your hope. Um, we can't get, like, like once a year, the high priests were able to get to the Holy of Holies and even then, the people would tie a rope to their feet so that if they had a problem like I had, they could be pulled out. Because if somebody else went in, they would die going into the Holy of Holies, the Holy Presence of God. And yet Jesus says, there's hope for you and there's hope for me that we can go into the very presence of God over and over and over and over again. And that's if we have a connection being in Jesus. He's our direct access. So non-Christians, there's only one access to the Father. It doesn't come by your goodness. It doesn't come by your parents' goodness. It doesn't come by you being better than other people or a little better than, you know, the people that you're around. That will give you nothing. It doesn't even come at you being way better where you look like Nicodemus or a Pharisee. I mean, you could even look like uh, and be like people that parents want your, their kids to hang with. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help me. In fact, it hides our need and it hides our cause, um, and it hurts our cause. So, non-Christian, there's only one access. Come to Jesus. The beauty of this passage is that Jesus rebukes Nicodemus and says, you don't have the right way. You can't birth yourself. But the beauty of this passage is it's a great invitation. Whosoever will come and believe is what we'll get to later. And Christian, your goodness and your achievements, day after day after day after day, don't answer 
the need. They only hide your need of Jesus if you depend on them wrongly. So I would, I would urge you and urge me that, that we sing day after day, moment after moment, I need thee, I need thee, every hour I need thee. And then to know that in Christ we have him and we have access to the throne. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. It's an encouraging word, and yet at first it's very rebuking. We need a, a whole new life. We can't just add some good things to our life and think we're okay. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be like the party of the serious and think that we just need a little bit more Jesus, a little bit more Bible, a little bit less of our own interest. Father, we need to have our interest completely done away with, that we could take your interests off. Father, for you say that selfishness and our self-interest are the things that hide us from you. And Father, if we're not born from above and born anew and born of the Spirit, we will not see you. And so, Father, I pray that those that are here that don't know Jesus, don't know the Messiah, Father, that they would see the great invitation that this passage offers, that Jesus has come to me. And all who believe you'll redeem and save and give hope to. And Father, I pray for believers that as we look at this passage, that we would see that our need of him never, never, never goes lower. We only need more and more and more and more as we understand that need. Father, help us to understand our need of Jesus day after day after day and help us to understand that we don't have what it takes, that we need to depend fully and finally on our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen.